you remember we did this some years back and we were meeting in the other location. I don't like doing this, but it's the only way that I can under the circumstances. But I'm glad to be back. It's been almost 16 weeks. And so I very much am excited to be back, to be here, and to teach again from the Word of God. Now, if you remember, we were working through a new series called Confessional Apologetics. We are going to stop that so that I can go through because of circumstances that have arisen. And I think we need to look at what is biblical church discipline. Now I taught on this, I actually taught 16 sermons on this some years back and somehow they did not get archived. So I could not just say to you, go back and listen to that series. But I want to come back and I want to look at this. This is very important to us. I want us to understand what is the confessional authority of the Reformed and Presbyterian Church discipline in all of its manifestations from the Holy Scripture as they are to be maintained in the covenant and government of our church throughout the practice and the history of the church of Jesus Christ. This is not something new. This has been something from the beginning. Now we won't deal as much with the Old Testament times because we are now under the new administration of the New Testament. It is, as it were, a living will that Christ has fulfilled for us in that he now has brought us into this new relationship through the indwelling of his spirit in a way that before never happened. Although the Spirit did indwell, now the way of Christ and of salvation has been opened to us. Throughout the Old Testament and through the New, the concept of church discipline is, as we're going to see, was and continues to be, a part of the church. We've never taught anything different. Our confession doesn't teach anything different, which actually is laid out from the authority of the Holy Scripture. But people don't listen often to what we try to tell them. We've been talking in confessional apologetics in that series about sola scriptura, the Bible is alone the word of God. 
we can write things from the Bible. And when we say what the Bible says, the Bible gives that authority to make those commands. But we don't think about the Bible in our day and age as being the very word of God written to us. We don't approach it as the word of God. We don't think about it as being Hey, if God is speaking, I can open up the book and he talks to me every time I read it. Every time I hear it taught, every time I hear it preached, I am to be hearing God himself. As if, as the reformers say, he was standing before you when the message was being preached. That's how important the Bible is. To us. It's the word of God. And you would think that those who profess faith in Christ, those who join the church, their number one desire would be what? To do it right. We don't view the word of God as Options, that's what the liberals do. Well, you know, we don't like that, so we'll find a reason that we'll just eject that out of the Bible. Not important to us. And we don't want to be bound up doing this or that. No, what we want is to have religion our way. That's where the church is today. People really believe that we can do Christianity the way we want it done and God somehow has to accept it. Well, I'm sincere. But as Charles Haddon Spurgeon once said, hell's full of sincere people. It's not how sincere you are. It's how biblical you are. And that's the question that we begin with when we're looking at a biblical understanding of what church discipline is. A lot of people do not really know. Everybody thinks that church discipline is when we grab a big stick and we walk around and hit people on top of the head. That's not what it's about. It's about your Christian life and walk. What you profess. What you say when you say, I love Christ. Do you really? When you love somebody, you're willing to lay down your life for them. You say you love Christ. Christ gave his life for you. Are you willing to give your life back to him? If the Spirit of God indwells you, that's got to be your number one concern. Is God content that I am living the life? Will He bless me, strengthen me to do what He has commanded? He will give me that grace necessary to be able to follow Him.
And so it is in the very first sermon on this series. I want to talk to you about biblical authority concerning church discipline. Why does the church have this authority? Why are we commanded to have it? Let me just say this to you, and I'll explain it later, not today. Church discipline starts when you say, I want to join the visible church of Jesus Christ. But there are different kinds of discipline, and we will look at them. We will make it very clear. What is your duty and responsibility, and what becomes the duty and responsibility of those who have taken vows to fulfill the duty of teaching, directing, guiding the church of Jesus Christ? Well, let me start by way of an introduction, because this is such an important topic. The Baptist minister, Albert Moore Jr., who is president of the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, I realize that he's under a lot of pressure today over the issue of this whole woke movement and somehow how he is trying to also incorporate that. A problem that has developed in his own thinking but he made this observation concerning the dilemma of church discipline in our modern times. And when I read it, I thought, yeah, I really feel that way, but I thought he said it so eloquently. I wanted to quote it to you. And I don't normally quote people that are having a lot of problems in their life. I even quoted one time Carl Bart. I think everybody in the church passed out. He was right, but you got to be careful quoting people. You can only quote what is right. But I thought he said this so well. Listen to what he says. And I quote The decline of church discipline is perhaps the most visible failure of the contemporary church. most visible failure. No longer concerned with maintaining purity of confession and lifestyle. The contemporary church sees itself as a voluntary association of autonomous members with minimal moral accountability to God. Did you listen to that? Think about this. Because it's so well said. The contemporary church. People gather on Sundays who come together. When they come to church, they see themselves as a voluntary association of autonomous members. Much like any society that you might join. You see yourself as being autonomous. I'll join. I have my rights. 
I will associate as long as someone doesn't tell me what I have to do. So I'm autonomous. I can pick and choose the morality I want to live by. And he says that mentality creates in them a very minimal moral accountability to God. They're not really accountable to God. They minimize their responsibility. He goes on to say, much less to each other. We not only have a minimal relationship with God, we see no necessary relationship one to another, other than we're a bunch of friends who have gathered together to socialize, and in the middle of that, the minister, for some reason, wants to give a long commercial. Thus he continues, the absence of church discipline is no longer remarkable. It is generally not even noticed. Without a recovery of functional church discipline, firmly established on the principles revealed in the Bible, the church will continue its slide into moral disillusion and relativism. That's a well-stated understanding of what's going on. The church today is on a slide into moral decadence. We're not living by the word of God. We don't see that as being binding upon me. Well, you know, there are ten commandments, but I don't like five of them. So I'll throw them out. Don't fit my lifestyle. That's not what I am committed to. Doesn't matter if God says you have to be committed to it. You're not committed to it. Which really brings the question. Who is in you and guiding you to make you think that? Why is the church taking upon itself this most humanistic understanding of what being a member of the church of Jesus Christ means? Why are we here? Because Christ's spirit lives within us. We cannot but do that very thing. We cannot but want to know the word know how to live our lives, know what the moral requirements are for us. The great English theologian John Owen rightfully identifies proper church power and authority. And he wrote this, and I quote, the power of the church toward its members may be referred to unto three heads. One, the admission of members into its assembly. If you take vows to join the church, professing your faith, you have repented of your sins. Christ has changed your life. 
by the indwelling of the Spirit, you've been born again. Renew. You've asked God to forgive you of your sins. You say your life has changed. Well, he says, once you are admitted as a member of the assembly, that's where your church discipline begins. So you probably never thought this way, but it's the only way we have believed in the Reformed Church forever. Once you say, I accept my vows, I take my vows, Voluntarily. I take them because Christ has changed me. I must be a part of his visible church. Because you know what the reformed position is. If you don't put yourself under the authority of the church which Christ has ordained, his bride, you can't consider yourself a Christian. Because you're not accountable to anybody. And God gave the church for accountability. Thus, admission to membership in the assembly begins your journey under church discipline. Kind of a real wake up call, isn't it? Wow, as soon as I joined the church, I was under church discipline. Certain aspect of it. Once you joined, we didn't walk around the beach with a club. We don't. As a matter of fact, if you have been here for any amount of time, and most of us have, you know that one of the things I told the men of my church is, I'll never step into your home and tell you how to run things. It's your job. I'll preach to you about it. If you have problems, come to me. I'll work with you. But I'm not going to interfere in your responsibility. I've never asked anybody to do anything wrong. I don't remember the last time I asked anybody to murder anyone, to steal, to violate any of God's law. But you know, when church discipline comes, the good guy becomes the bad guy. Why? They're in sin. And now they begin to hate the fruit and the life. I've never asked anybody to do anything wrong. The only thing I've ever asked them to do is what God commands. How do you explain people who will not do what God commands? Neither have the associate pastors. By the way, just so you know, they're not only deacons, but they have been licensed as pastoral ministers, meaning they have the full authority of being pastor with me. They're in training to do this. And thus, they sit with authority, just as I said. They avowed themselves to do that. And the presbytery gave them authority. A lot of churches don't have that, but we do. But we also believe in training our deacons, our elders, and our ministers properly. But admission into the church 
is allowing you to join the assembly. It begins day one in joy. Two, the rule and edification of them that belongs unto that assembly. The second phase of discipline is to be educated. We teach, we preach the word of God to you and say, you must live by this word. True sanctification is to mortify, kill sin in your body and to put on the righteousness of Christ. Walk in the fruit of the Spirit in those good works that were ordained for you to walk therein. And if you don't walk in the good works, and if you don't bear the fruit of the Spirit, what's the consequence? Then you're not walking in the Spirit. You're either a slave to Christ, Paul says in Romans, or you're a slave to sin. Which is it? When you rather walk after sin, there's nothing to make us believe that you're a believer in Christ. Christians do not tolerate sin. Doesn't mean we don't sin. None of us are perfect. We all have to deal with sin every day in our life. And we have an advocate who will deal with it. But we don't run to sin. We don't want to live in it. That's the teaching of the Word of God. We want to flee from unrighteousness. Why? The Spirit of God changed us. We used to want to do sinful things. Now that we're in Christ, we want to do righteous things. And then Owen says the third thing is the exclusion out of the assembly of such as stubbornly refuse to live and walk according to the laws and the rules of the word of God. Did you get it? The first one is your duty when you join the church of Christ. You're under discipline. You are to bring your life in line with Christ. Secondly, we are going to teach you the word of God. I'm not going to ask you to do anything wrong. Never have, never will. Everything we do, not only do I ensure that it is done according to the word of God according to our confessional statements according to our book at church order I even call on every issue the moderators of our denomination to check with them am I doing it right because I don't want to do it wrong But when people will not get out of their sins, when they're so stubborn that they're going to live in them, how can we continue to call them Christians? Listen, 
if that's if you will put up with that, it means the words you say don't have to have any meaning. As long as you said it, it must be true. That's the great lie. There's the difference between reformed and non-reformed thinking. Being reformed means that your words must be backed by the fruits of your life in Christ. How important Dr. Owen is laying this out for us to understand. Self-discipline, the church teaching you how to live in the way is discipline. And thirdly, sometimes the church has got to take an action when you do wrong. I don't get an option. Neither do our pastors. We took vows to uphold the Word of God. To enforce the teaching of that Word in our theology, in our practical way of living. We don't get options. You get somebody living in sin and we don't act, Presbyterian is going to come down and say, you took vows to clean this up. Why have you not done it? We need to discipline you. We're accountable. Every time we're accountable. Nobody in our denomination is without accountability. Man, if we were Baptists, I wouldn't be accountable to anybody, quote unquote God. <laughs> but I don't have that option. God gave us a system of government we're going to look at. It's presbyterial oriented. It's designed to make everybody from the top to the bottom accountable before God to one another. Owen goes on to say, these things belong essentially and inseparably comprehensive of all church power whatsoever. Wow, I didn't turn on my clock. So I got another hour to go. Hold on. And so we ask the question, what is the basis of such discipline? It is this. As Owen has pointed out, the church is built what? From Christ. You're here because of Jesus Christ. That's what you professed. We took you at your word. That you want to live for Christ. Now, a lot of churches, they simply say, well, you know what? I don't want to go to hell. So I want to join the church. But I don't want to live the way Christ commands me to live. You see, this is why Pastor Enro, I love, he always says the same thing. People don't get it. This is a part of what he's saying. The reformed faith is a hard road for walk. I've got to be disciplining myself. I've got to be taught how to discipline. I've got to be responsible for discipline. 
And then when we run into people that are so stubborn that they think they can act autonomously and act with impunity against the moral law of God and against what he's commanded and the vows that you've taken, that you can just walk from that. I don't have choices. It's hard to be here. But what's the goal? The saving of your soul. We're concerned for your soul. We're told in Matthew 16, 18, and I say also unto thee, this is Christ speaking, thou art Peter, and upon this rock, referring to himself, I will build my church. Christ said, I'm going to build my church upon me. I'm the foundation, the chief cornerstone he's often called. And the gates of hell shall not prevail. The term here is a verb that's in the third person. It is referencing the church. It is a Plural, a plurality, and that means it's speaking to many people here who will make up the whole body of Christ. It is in the future tense, which means it is a durative action. It is always going to be prevailing against hell. Hell can't prevail. Hell cannot overthrow the church. The church is going to expand and overcome evil because it's putting on the righteousness of Christ and it's mortifying sin in the life of the church purity and it will be successful no matter what comes against this kingdom against this king it will always prevail the church, not as a building, the church as a people. Why? Christ in them. Do you know what it means to fight against sin in your life? I mean, if you're a Christian, you gotta know what it means. If you're not a Christian, you have no idea what I'm talking about. Yeah, I know, I took vows and membership, but you know what? I didn't sign up for this kind of program. Yeah, Jesus Christ said you did. He's running the ship. I don't get to write, I don't get to write my own book. We're not like some of those cults out there that say, well, we've got this other standard. I live by the word. I live by the law of the word. I only teach and preach from the word. I never ask you to do one thing that is not in the word of God. But you know, when you get in sin, all of a sudden, the pastor and the elders go to the bad guys. When what are we trying to do? Just get you to live a Christian life, that's all. 
And if that makes us bad, that's not what the book says. The book says we're doing it right. And if you think that we're bad, then you're not reading the book. It's not a church of what's happening now is the way I'm going to live. We're not caught up into cultural relativism. We're not caught up into the Marxism of our day. We're not caught up into that minimal morality requirement. Well, as long as I have some kind of morality, it's okay. No, God gave us the morals and said that by these. You don't get to choose. Where did you get the idea that you to choose? You join my church, you are going to discipline your life by living for me. Secondly, you've got to come to the church because you must attend to hear the preaching and teaching of the word on how to live the Christian life. That's a part of discipline. Third, if you think you're going to act in a way of rebellion against the word of God, we're going to kick you back into play because God said, God will change it. Why? Why must they flee sin? Why must they come back to the assembly and do what's right? It's a difference between redemption and non-redemption. That's why. The Bible says we care for your soul. That's our job. And I got news for you. We don't like doing it. It's hard. But it's required. Why? Because the people that we associate with, we love. They're Christ's sheep. Our goal is to get them into heaven. To make them look at their life and examine it. Week in and week out. I made a commitment to Christ. I promised to live by his word. I will not forsake the word of God. And he has given to the church the responsibility of discipling. When I join, self-discipline. That's where it begins. When I come to the assembly, they preach the word and teach it to us on how to live. What we're to believe. And when we live in a lifestyle that is stubborn and rebellious against the word of God, God gave the church the authority to say, you cannot live that way. The Bible says, when you love a child, you'll discipline them. I don't know anybody who loves their kids who don't try to say to them, you got to live right. Oh, there are people that abuse. We're not talking about them. If you match up all the abusers to all the people who are doing what's right in life, you're going to find out even the lost people, most of them, want what's best for the kids. Do you not think that God the Father doesn't want what's best for his children who have joined by spirit to Christ? Do you not think he's raised up people to help guide them and direct them to ensure that they are doing what is right? 
If we were a cult, we'd be running around. We'd be in your house. We'd be looking at everything you do, and we'd tell you how to live your life. You'd be like Jonestown, drink cool. We don't do that. First off, you should have been doing what you're supposed to be doing, what you join. You've got to read your book, and you got to live by it. Secondly, you've got to come to the attendance of the church in order to understand what is required of you. Third, when the church comes and says, wow, you're in sin and rebellion, you need to get out of this. Do what is right before God strikes you, curses you for your sin. How can that be evil? It's wrong. And I don't give an option to not do it. Neither do our pastors. These men one day are going to take over everything. We're training them. We've given them authority to do these things. That's why they get up. They do the sacraments. They preach. They do all kinds of things. Why? We've got them here working. They are fully functional right now. And I want to tell you, they're doing a good job, a very good job. And they want to help. I've never said to somebody who's come to me and said, we've got a problem, can you help me? No, I don't have the time for it. I make time for it. Even if I don't have the time. I've always been there. I've never asked you to do anything wrong when you come to ask me, what should we do? Let's look at what the Bible says. You ought to be doing. You may not like it, but your argument's with God, not me. I'm just following the book. Sometimes you get people that go, well, I don't believe that. But you said you did when you joined. This is your theology. This is the life you're going to live. It's beyond me. The church, the ecclesia, meaning those who are the elect, are the called out ones who are the community of believers on earth. And the saints who are in heaven, according to the Apostle Paul, 1 Corinthians 6, 17, which states, but he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. Now, if the spirit of Christ is in you and you are being built on the rock of Christ as the chief cornerstone of the church, your life ought to be finding out what does he require from me. And I may live a life that pleases God. The church, we're told, is the habitation of God through His Spirit. St. Paul states in Ephesians 2 20 through 22. Listen to Paul's writing. Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ Himself being the chief cornerstone. The apostles taught these things. That was their job. You joined, 
You're supposed to be under discipline. You come because the foundation being laid by the apostles, you're following their teaching. This church, this is founded upon the very person of Jesus Christ, who is the chief cornerstone. Then he says, verse 21, in whom the whole building, every aspect of this church, being is fitted together, grows into a what? A holy temple to the Lord. You are a part of the assembly, which is to be a holy temple. You know what that means? To be holy means you live by what is commanded. In whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God. If this is not you, bad news. If you're not in Christ, then you're not going to get saved. Trick yourself, deceive yourself all you want to. God isn't giving fire insurance. You will be evidenced as one who is becoming a part of the Holy Temple. You will change in life. The church is called the very bride of Christ by Paul also in Ephesians. Listen to him, verse 24. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let every wife be to their own husband and everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Christ gave himself for the church. Therefore, there is a responsibility, just like in a husband and wife, for a wife to love her husband and be submissive to him. That he might not sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of the water by the woman. Through the preaching and teaching of the word of God. The church is Christ's presence on the earth. All are one and the same. The church is the very representation of the living God. Again, St. Paul writes in Colossians 1.24, I now rejoice in my suffering for you and will Fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the affliction of Christ for the sake of his body, which is the church. Did you hear that? I will fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ. Otherwise, I'm going to bring the righteousness of Christ into my body, into my life. I'm not interested in my desires of the flesh. I'm not interested in the way the world thinks. I put Christ first in my life. That's not a slogan. Because if that's all it is, it's an empty slogan. It has no meaning. And I was raised in a church that had all those slogans. But they had no meaning. 
it was probably one of the filthiest churches you could have been a member of. There was so much perversion going on and sin, it was unbelievable. And I did not want to live that way anymore. When Christ got hold of me, when I went to college to be trained in the way these people think, God sent a messenger who changed my heart and showed me for the first time that the Word of God had no meaning, no purpose. And it changed. And I said, I won't live that way. Doesn't mean I won't struggle with sin. You and I are going to struggle with sin all of our life. But the question is, are you at war with sin? Are you trying to get rid of it? Are you trying to live for Christ? That's why I can't say to you, oh, you need to violate the law of God. That's the problem. You need to be immoral. Now, I never gave anybody that advice. I don't. I never give people advice that is not based on the word of God. So, if they want to argue, if they're arguing with God, don't tell them to take it. I don't think that's a wise thing to do. Because he's got a way of slapping you down when you do that. Well, look at some of that. You know, in the New Testament, you ought to be thankful the church has got the responsibility for discipline when you stubborn and live in sin. Because in the New Testament, God struck them dead. That's real hard life, church discipline. You and I ought to be thankful God ain't striking us dead for our stubbornness when we don't deal with our sin. We need to yield. We need to yield constantly for Him. The church, we're told, is a living spiritual organism. It is a spiritual house with Jesus Christ Himself, the builder of that very institution. Matthew tells us in chapter 16 and verse 18, and I also say to you that you are Peter on that rock. I will build my church and the gates of hell. They want when I prevail. We looked at this earlier. It is also Jesus Christ who adds to the church. If you came to say, I want to join the church. It had to be because within you. The God had renewed you by salvation and grace. Through the work of the Spirit. Now you have a desire to be a part of the assembly. To be under its authority, its teaching. To govern your life yourself. To be taught how to govern it even better. And if necessary, to be brought under discipline. So that you do not end up proving yourself to be an apostate. It's the Lord who adds to the church. You've been brought in by Christ. Acts 2.47 says, And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be said. When you came to join the church, you said, God added you to the church. He renewed you to the church. 
Christ. And the very life of the church depends upon what? That it survives in Christ. Listen to Paul in Ephesians 5.29. For no man ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it even as the Lord does. The Lord feeds the church constantly through the power of the Spirit. That means the members are particular. Those who have taken vows, who have said, I'm a sinner, that I've been saved by the grace God has given me. I want to walk by the word of the living God. Thus, the true church is the work of God. It's not the work of men. This is not my church. This is not the associate pastor's church. This is God's church. We got to do it the way God said it in His Word. We have to live by it. We have to teach according to it. And if we get out of line, we get punished for it. No one's beyond that. The church is empowered with divine authority that, as we shall see, can bind and does bind what is in heaven and can bind what is on the earth. It can bind and loosen. It's got the keys of the kingdom. Well, look at that very statement from the Word of God. The church, visible. How does it do that? God is empowered church centers to do that. They can admit you into the assembly and they can dismiss you from it. You can't just walk away from it. Can you transfer some other church? Sure. You're in good standing. You can go anywhere you want to go. I can't stop you from doing that. But when you get into sin, you can't just walk off. It's not your decision. Sorry. You belong to Christ. You don't get to make your own decisions. You gotta make decisions that He gives you to make. You gotta do it as Thus we need to examine our creedal position. As the nature of the church relates to this important doctrine of discipline and its censures and censorship. In the Westminster Confession of Faith, we read the historical ecclesiastical principle of censorship and authority thereof, as it was held by the Reformers. Thus, next Lord's Day, we will begin looking at the Confession. In looking at what it states when it talks about the doctrine of the church, its authority, and having censorship over its people. Write out the word of God. Not made up. We're not allowed to make it up as we go. Oh, if we did, we'd tell you, break the If we're allowed to make up as we go, we chase you down every second of the day and tell you everything. That was wrong with you. And that very standard would become very legalistic and occulting. 
You won't do that. You promote the one God does all things. You just promote the one God. Oh, it's hard. My friends, it's not easy being a Christian. If you thought it was, you just either don't know the word God or you don't care about the word But when you joined the church, you said you did, and your duty was to bring yourself under discipline. That's the hard road, man, right there. That's what Pastor Errol keeps saying. Being reformed is a hard road to walk. You gotta walk the walk. You gotta talk the talk. You gotta do what is required. Not just say. That's the hard part of this. Sometimes people just don't get what he's saying. I do. Because he came here and he had to change. And he looks back and he says, after eight years, my life doesn't even look like it used to. I came, I was taught that I had to live by the word. I was taught the word. I've studied the word. I've been involved in the seminary program. I've been training in this word. And the more I train it, the more I am conditioned to live my life and day in and day out. And it's an awful hard road to walk. It is not a bed of roses. It's not a church that says, do what you want to do. If it feels good, do it. It's not pragmatic. It says, do what God commands. Why? Christ owns the church. How does he own it? He died and paid for it with his own blood. It's not my church. It's not your church. It's Christ's church. And Christ says you live by the book. You will also die. When we say we're Christians, we mean we're people of the book. Let me encourage you to consider these things as we begin to lay these foundations. What does it really mean? The church is an association. It's not like the Moose Lodge or the Brotherhood of the Alps or any other so-called association. Those are things people just join and jump out of and into and back out of whenever they please. That's not what the church is. It's an organic assembly that is indwelt by the Spirit of God. It's a living organism, not an association. The way the world thinks of an association. Oh, they're treated like they are. The fact that most churches don't discipline one, they don't care. You can just go to their church and they'll say, you used to have a church on the north side of town, had about 5,000 people. They'd say, if you make three services, you're a member. 
That doesn't square with the word of God. Must not be a true church. But that's what an association would say. You want to join? You ain't got to come three times. They don't make you a member. Doesn't work out. Worship day. It'd be so easy. Wouldn't it? And we could just say to you, you can do whatever you want to do. The problem is when we say that, when you've got the word of God facing you, then you're saying to the people, go to hell, we don't care. We don't love you. Just do whatever you want to do. It's okay. Shake your fist in the face of God. Tell him, you're not fit to be God. We're going to trample underfoot the blood of Christ. Tell him. See what happens to you. I got news for you. You're not going to like the way you respond to it. It's not your journey. It's his. And if we're all dangerous, we'll be walk. And you don't get a choice. You don't get to pick and choose. You got to do exactly what he says. And let me tell you, that's hard. It's a hard way. The reform faith is not an easy way. But I'm going to tell you something. When you live and you die for Christ because of what he's done for you, it means everything. The older I get, the more scared I get. I look back and think, boy, Lord, there's things that I would tell you things that I didn't I didn't think cost them about all the things I should be doing. There's a decision every day of our life. It's hard. But we're not going to get into heaven by the skin of our teeth. We either leave the point in Christ, or we're not going. And as I get older, we're facing death. Now when we're young. Ah, nothing in here. You get old. You begin to really get serious and go, oh God, I'm what God's going to do with me. I'll tell you what He's going to do. If you're in Christ and living to please Him and His Word, He's going to take you into His kingdom. When you die, you'll be with Christ in glory. But I'll guarantee you, if you don't live for him and love him and his word, you'll not be with Christ. You'll be in hell. And it's not a place where people are going to play cards with the devil and drink beer and have a good time. It's going to be hanging and suffering all your life. You're going to be consumed by God. That pain, as if you were burning. You'll live. What are we trying to do here? One day. The only thing that is the goal of my life is to make sure you don't miss salvation. You want to. You don't want to 
But if you don't like that, then yeah, we are the bad guys. Bad guys who are doing the right things. We're accountable. You gotta be accountable. But accountability starts with self. Accountability has to feed on the teaching of the word. Accountability has to respond when someone says, Hey, you're living the same. This cannot be. You gotta get things right <coughs> in order to go forward in life. Jesus Christ says that's why. If you don't get it, you didn't go. As I you will never ask you to do that. We'll never ask you to sin. You'll never sit around in your house and say, We're going to watch everything you do moment by moment and pick your life apart. No, I don't have to do that. The Spirit of God's in you, He's there, He sees everything. You're not going to hide anything from Him. I don't have to do that. I just preach. This is the truth. What are you going to do with it? <coughs> That's it. Come, feed from the Word of God. The Word of life. Come and feed. That's all we're asking. That's true church discipline. Come and feed on Christ. How? Because you love Christ. Because you've been changed. You don't love sin. You love righteousness. You're a slave to Christ. not a slave to sin. So if anybody ever does, if they're an officer in our church, say to you, you need to go out and do something wrong. Lie, deceive, cheat, steal, kill. You come and tell them, they won't be here long for They'll be before the presbytery, and out they will go if they don't repent of their sin. Because our only word to you is the word God gives us in His word. Rightfully interpreted, not taken out of context. Rightfully interpreted. And that is laid out where? In our confession. In our larger catechism, in our shorter catechism. This is what we're teaching. That's why we've taught the short catechism. This is the fourth time I think it is we're going through this thing. What's the purpose? To teach the word of God. So oh man. I am for you. Give it God. Thank you, God. God in Christ. But on his righteousness. Walk in the life. Is given to you. Walk the journey ordained for you. Not your journey. Because your journey, the Bible says there are many ways that seem right unto men, but the ends are up are God. Don't go down that road. Please, don't go down that road. Live for 